We pray. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth may declare your praise. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, the best gift ever given, that baby in the manger. The first question we should ask this evening, this Christmas Eve, is why? Why are we here? Why did you travel through the wind and the snow and the cold to be here this evening? Why didn't you stay at home in your nice, warm homes, eating Christmas cookies, maybe exchanging presents, enjoying time with family? Why did God go to all the trouble of sending His Son to this earth 2,000 years ago? Why was it all necessary? Why? It's an important question because if, if we don't answer and understand why, the why of Christmas, then there's no way that we can have Christmas joy that extends beyond tomorrow. You know how the joy of opening presents or gathering with family, it, it ends as soon as the, the presents are open, as soon as the family leaves. It's done. But God wants us to have Christmas joy that extends long beyond tomorrow. So why? Why are we here? Why did God send His Son? Why Christmas? Genesis chapter 3 answers that question of why. God had created two perfect human beings, Adam and Eve, and placed them in a perfect world in the Garden of Eden and asked them to take care of it, and He gave them one simple command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did. They rose up in rebellion against God and plunged our world into the darkness of sin. That is our dire straits. That is where we are now. Paul describes it pretty well in Romans chapter 5. He says, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sin. Because we are born of sinful parents, we are born to sin. And because we sin, we will die. But that's not even the worst of it. The worst death is not just the separation of body and soul when you lay a cold corpse into the ground. The worst death that we have all earned for ourselves is separation from God and His love forever. That is the why of Christmas. Because we were in such a dire predicament, it doesn't get worse than being separated from God and His love forever in hell Listen as Genesis 3 describes that dire predicament. They heard the voice of the Lord God who was walking around in the garden during the cooler part of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What have you done? The woman said, The servant deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the livestock, and more than every wild animal. You shall crawl on your belly, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, 
He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. With painful labor, labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. The soil is cursed on account of you. You will eat from it with painful labor all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will spring up from the ground for you, but you will eat the crops of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the soil, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most unfortunate and universal side effects of the fact that we are born as sinners, we have original sin in us inherited from our parents, is that we are a very proud people. And that pride manifests itself in in two seemingly uh, disparate ways. Uh, First of all, we, like Adam and Eve, you know, they ate from the fruit of the tree and, and they imagined, because they believed Satan's lie, that they would become like God. Proud enough to believe that they could become like God. And, and, and we have elements of that in our hearts too, that we want to become like God. Controlling our lives, controlling the people around us, even imagining that we can control the temperature of planet Earth. So we overestimate our own abilities on the one hand, and then we underestimate what it would take to save us from our dire predicament that we were born into, born to sin and therefore born to die and therefore born to be separated from God forever. You see, so many religions in the world, and all of them except for one teaches that it's up to you to work out your own salvation. Now, it might be through meditation, it might be through prayer, it might be through making pilgrimages, it might be through obeying any number of rules and laws, but it's up to you. It's up to you to work out your own salvation. And that's a a terrible underestimation of our dire predicament. That's why... It's so sad today when people still believe that God sent His Son into this world just to be nothing more than an example or a teacher or a guide to show us how we can save ourselves. As if Jesus came just to give us a leg up, a boost. As if He's a coach or a mentor or a therapist. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing we could possibly do to save ourselves. You see, when God looks at us, when He looks at the world, He doesn't see a bunch of energetic, willing volunteers who just need a boost, just need a leg up, just need a little encouragement. According to Ezekiel chapter 37, when God looks at planet Earth, He sees a graveyard. He sees people who are absolutely dead in sin that could be saved by nothing less than a miracle of God to raise us to life. Christmas is not a fairy tale. It is not a cute little children's story. It's not like so many of the other things you see this time of year where people are singing and talking about fat men in red suits and and reindeer with glowing golden noses. Christmas is nothing yet less than the most daring rescue mission in the history 
of the world. Christmas is when God sent His Son. And I know we see Him on Christmas Eve as this little baby in a manger, but I think maybe more accurate would be to imagine Him as a Navy SEAL descending from the clouds to rescue us from a situation we could never get ourselves out of. And it's all God. He doesn't give us a leg up. He doesn't teach us how to help ourselves. We're not here tonight because this is just such a cute story that we can't help from, uh, except gather to talk about it every year on December 24th. We're here because from eternity God decided that he wasn't going to let us be separated from him forever. We're here tonight because God decided that he was going to send his son, a Navy SEAL on Christmas, to save us from our sins, to live the life we never could, to suffer the death we deserve, to rise again so that we too may rise again and live with him eternally. But it's all God. It's all him. He decided to make this plan from eternity. He decided to send his son. God. Son came to this earth. God's Son suffered and died for us. So when you think about Christmas, when you think about your salvation, don't think about the role you play in it. Your role is just being rescued from something you could not save yourself from. Isaiah says it pretty clearly. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We hear from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The authority to rule will rest on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no limit to his authority and no end to the peace he brings. He will rule on David's throne and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from now on into eternity. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah had prophesied that God would send a mighty king, a ruler to this earth. And Micah echoes that sentiment in his prophecy that we'll read in a few moments. Um, Micah and Isaiah are, are very similar in their messages to us. Kings are born in palaces, though. Not stables or caves. They're born to queens, not to peasant girls. They're born in capital cities, not insignificant towns like Bethlehem. They're adored by visiting dignitaries, not filthy, stinky shepherds. And yet the reality of the Christmas story teaches us a very important truth about the way that God has chosen to work in our world. He has always chosen to work in humble, insignificant, and unexpected ways. Paul explains God's mentality in, in, Roman, or in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame the things that are strong. 
And God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to do away with the things that are so that no one may boast before God. God chose little insignificant Bethlehem, a peasant named Mary, some shepherds who were the only ones to witness Jesus' birth that first Christmas to teach us about himself and how he works in this world. It's important for us to keep that in mind still today, how God has chosen to work. This isn't our decision. We didn't make this up. God has chosen to work still today in humble and insignificant ways still to this day to bring salvation to every corner of the earth. He uses sinful men to stand there and proclaim forgiveness of sins to sinners. If you were here on Sunday, you saw how he used little children to proclaim the eternal message, the eternal gospel of Christmas. He uses a little bit of plain water and some words to baptize people into his family, to adopt sinners into his family so that they may be known as sons of God. He uses a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine to strengthen our faith and to assure us that our sins are truly forgiven. He uses you. You may not think you're much of anything, but he uses you, parents and grandparents and children and sisters and friends and co-workers to share this unbelievable message that God has brought salvation to earth in Jesus to anyone you know, anytime you can. I know it feels like we're pretty insignificant. It doesn't seem like anything marvelous is happening here tonight. We live in a world where where you need fireworks and light shows and and professionally designed sets and and professionally orchestrated music in order for it to mean anything to anyone. But you know what? If we go back to that first Christmas, we look in that manger, we see that insignificant little baby who was born to save us. Yes, in little Bethlehem. Yes, the child of Mary. Yes, adored only by shepherds. But he was there, and he is here with us right now to save us. We hear from Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, from you will go out the one who will be the ruler for me in Israel. His goings forth are from the beginning, from the days of eternity. Therefore the Lord will give them up until the time when the woman who is in labor bears a child. Then the remaining survivors from his brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd with the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will dwell securely, for at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Crazy and ambitious plans are often met with doubt and skepticism. In the 1960s, when John F. Kennedy announced that they were going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade, many Americans did not believe him or take him seriously. It wasn't that long ago in most of our lifetimes when the idea of running a car on nothing more than a battery seemed 
like nonsense. How can you run a battery on a car? And yet, you look at the roads today, you see Teslas and Rivians all over the place. Many of you were here 25 years ago when the thought of starting a church in McFarland, building a building and then adding on to that building within 25 years, uh, it seemed like a crazy dream, a crazy wish. It was even received by some with doubt and skepticism. And yeah, as unbelievable as those things, as, as impossible as those ideas and dreams appeared, they pale in comparison to the promise that God made and the message that the angel Gabriel conveyed to Mary. Now, we might think that the, 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 the key miracle of Christmas is that a virgin would give birth. And that truly is a miracle. Virgins do not give birth, but that's not the most important miracle of Christmas. The most important miracle of Christmas is the one that no one would have ever imagined that God would become a man. That God would become a man to save us. Sound unlikely? Sound unexpected? Sound impossible? Yeah? But nothing will be impossible with God. And so as we consider the, the true miracle of Christmas, that God became man, as we consider the fact that this man would grow up to hang on a cross to pay for our sins 2,000 years ago, as we consider the fact that after three days that man rose from the grave, leaving his tomb empty, as we consider the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven where He rules over all things and that He will return to take us home to be with Him one day. Yeah, it all seems really, really impossible. But like Mary, when God speaks, it's time for us to set our reason and our skepticism and our doubt aside and instead respond with a heart of faith that says, Lord, if this is the strange unexpected, seemingly impossible way that you have chosen to save me, then let it be to me as you have said. We read from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin pledged in marriage to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But she was greatly troubled by the statement and was wondering what kind of greeting this could be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. Listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Listen, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, even though she was called barren. And this is her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible for God. Then Mary said, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord.
If you think it was hard for Mary to believe the angel's message, just imagine what it was like for Joseph. So he was engaged, betrothed to Mary, Mary. And then he finds out that she's pregnant. And he knows with certainty that it's not his. And it might have been the first century, but they weren't idiots. They knew where babies come from. And Joseph knew that he was not responsible for this one. I think it's even stranger. One night he's sleeping and an angel appears to him in a dream and tells him not to be afraid to marry Mary because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but also that Joseph was to name this baby Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. So just to recap, Joseph is to believe that Mary hadn't been unfaithful, that the baby in her womb is from the Holy Spirit, and that this baby would be the Savior of the world. How could anyone believe such a story? How could anyone believe the message of this angel? And yet Joseph did. And he took Mary home to be his wife. How does that happen? How do people believe things that are as outlandish as this story, which is the summary of Christmas? Well, we have a hint here from Matthew. He quotes Isaiah chapter 7. He says, All this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph was a righteous man, an Israelite. He would have known his Old Testament. He would have known this prophecy of Isaiah. For him, as for us, faith doesn't come from seeing things in visions. It doesn't come from angels speaking to us in our dreams. But it comes from hearing the message. Joseph had heard the message, and when the angel reinforced that message, he believed it. As unbelievable as it seemed. That's the power of the Word. And again, that's an unlikely, unexpected, lowly way that God chooses to work, but He does. Your presence here is proof of that. You believe the message of the angel too. That the child in Mary's womb was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and that He is Jesus because He saves His people from their sins. That is the power of the Word. So be in the Word. Read the Word. Hear the Word. Share the Word. The Word is able to do unbelievable things. We hear from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. His mother Mary was pledged in marriage to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her. So he decided to divorce her privately. But as he was considering these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him, give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. 
but he was not intimate with her until she gave birth to her firstborn son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All the lessons that we've read this evening really bring us full circle, don't they? Back to our original question. We've seen tonight that God uses implausible, seemingly impossible, unexpected, lowly, humble means to bring salvation for sinners. And then through His Word, He he works the faith to believe it. In, In your hearts, just like He did in Joseph's. But the question remains, why? Why would God go to such impossible lengths to save people who so often prove by our daily words, thoughts, and actions that we don't really want anything to do with Him? That we really despise His goodness and His love? You see, the real point of Christmas is not that God can do the impossible. Creation and the flood, they prove that. The real point of Christmas is not that God chooses to use lowly, humble means and humble people to to bring salvation to this world. You look at any of the major characters in the Bible, there was nothing very special about any of them. You look around this room, there's nothing very special about any of us. You look at the man standing in front of you, there's nothing very special about him. So those things are all proven, but why? See, the main point of Christmas and the thing I want you to take home with you tonight is that Christmas proves that God's love for us is wider and deeper and broader than we could ever have imagined. And that's so important this time of year, isn't it? I know they sing on the radio and you hear or read in Christmas cards that this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. But for many, it's not. For many people look around and see that love is growing cold at an alarming rate. And it's not just out there in the world where there are wars and battles and political polarization. It's, it's in our own homes. It's in our own families, our own marriages. It's in our own heart that love is growing cold. It's no accident that this time of year is the time of year when the, the rates of depression are at their highest, when there are fights in stores and fights in families and siblings do not get along, when sadly many are drawn to think of ending it all to just get away from the pain. Maybe you are suffering from something like that yourself tonight. Maybe there is some darkness of depression or sin or an argument in your family or with your friends that is troubling you this Christmas. Maybe you don't think this is the most wonderful time of year at all because you can't gather with your loved ones, because the weather has ruined your travel plans, because inflation has made it impossible to do exactly what you want this year. That's why it's so important to remember that the main thing of Christmas is that in that little baby in the manger, God demonstrated His love for us. You may not feel loved for any 
number of reasons this Christmas. So focus on that manger and see that beyond all doubt, you have God's love. Love that led him to do impossible, unexpected, yeah, meek and lowly and humble things, but, but he did it all to save you. And so whether you are celebrating Christmas alone or you don't get a single gift this year, you have this gift. And that's plenty for a very Merry Christmas. We read from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but the one who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. 